Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23 says it like this. It says, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And he will call him, excuse me, they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This moment in scripture is a pretty impactful one. This is an angel speaking to Joseph. He's betrothed to Mary to be married to her. But she has just told him that she is pregnant. Joseph, well, I didn't do it. And she says that God did it. So I would imagine that that discussion uh, didn't end well as he's having that with Mary. He decides, instead of stoning her, which would have been acceptable by way of the, the Jewish law, having her killed, he decides that he will put her away quietly, not to disgrace her, but just to have her put away. Go send her somewhere. And it's with that that an angel comes to him and says, son, I need to explain something to you. God has done this. God is bringing his hope into the world. And I need you to understand that not only do I need you to marry her, but I need you to help take care of the Messiah to come. Son, they're going to call him Emmanuel because for the first time since the Garden of Eden, for the first time, God is coming in the midst of humanity. Hope is here. Can you imagine that engagement with the angel? Hope is here. So you have to understand when Adam and Eve sinned and separated themselves from God in the garden, God withdrew himself. His spirit would come down on people. He would, live, he would prophesy through people. But God did not dwell amongst the humanity any, any longer after the garden experience. And we see in this moment that God wants to restore humanity back to himself. A hopeless world. A world full of pain and suffering. A world full of conflict and hate. God says, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build a bridge. My son Jesus, the hope of the world, Emmanuel, God with us. I'm sending him as a gift, as a present, if you will, much greater than the ones wrapped under a tree. When we celebrate Christmas this week, we're celebrating so much more than the gift. We're celebrating that we now have hope, that humanity has hope, that we can now come to the Father through Jesus Christ. I, hope sometimes is lost in our lives. In fact, I would imagine that many of us today are hopeless in some areas. We've lost hope. For some of you, you've lost hope that God's even there. You came to church today because your family asked you to. Maybe some of you have lost hope that that adult child will ever turn around and stop putting themselves in such danger. Maybe some of you have lost hope that you'll ever have a kid. Maybe some of you have lost hope that God even cares about your finances. We've all lost hope over time. I know I have. I can remember Jamie and I, you know, we had been married for a couple years, and we'd had our first child. We were pastors, and then Jamie began to lose the next children. The pregnancies began to be cut short. Those little babies would die in her womb. And on the third one, after I took the little body in a Ziploc bag and brought it up to the hospital so they could run tests, and I put Jamie in the bed. I went out in the backyard. We had a couple of acres, and I stood out in the backyard in the middle of the night, angry, mad at God. I'd lost hope. I said, God, that's it. I'm done. I'm done. I'm never going to be a pastor again. I quit. I quit because, because it's not right. It's not fair. When everybody else was going out getting drunk, I stayed faithful. I served you. When everybody else was hooking up and having premarital sex, and all, I stayed faithful. I stayed. Lord, I did what you asked me to do. I quit business. I quit all those things, and I went into the ministry because you asked me. 
All I wanted you to do was heal my babies. My wife is broken. I'm broken. And so that's it. I quit. Quit. I'm not going to stop being a Christian because I don't want to go to hell. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to stop tithing because I don't want to be broke. But that's it. I'm done. I'm not helping anybody else. I'm done. I'm out. And God was so gracious to share with me. He just began to massage that hopelessness. He began to share with me. And I began to have pictures in my mind and heart of men and women that I knew, that I loved, that had been through some things that were pretty tragic. That's when he began to reveal to me, he said, Adam, listen, I don't kill babies. I love you. And you have to understand that there's a process for hope to come. And there's a great cosmic battle back and forth. I have been hopeless. I have been mad at God. I have been angry at life. I can remember just not so long ago when the Lord asked me and Jamie to lay down everything we were doing and start this church. To be faithful to building a congregation in this area. I didn't want to do that. I was traveling. Had a little bit of a following, if you will. Was doing ministry overseas. Living the best life now, if you could. To start over in my, in my 40s and reestablish. No one was supporting us. No one's going to finance it. No one's going to do anything to help us. We were just on our own. And, and a little small group of people who said, let's do something great for God. And man, we were years into this thing and it wasn't going anywhere. People weren't getting saved anymore. We didn't have a place to meet. And I began to, begin to cry out to the Lord, Lord, we need a building. Because they think we're a cult because we don't have a building. We need a building, God. Help us get a building. And we began to look everywhere we could. And just under two years, we did 32 engagements trying to get pe people to sell us property. I'll never forget sitting across the, 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 the desk from this one gentleman. And he said, you guys can't afford this building. I said, you don't know my God. He goes, well, I don't know him, but he ain't, if you don't show me no money, I can't sell you the building. And I walked out and said, God, we can't afford to build. We ain't got nothing. Can I tell you, after 32 different no's, no ways, you're out of your mind, I had lost hope. I was considering just shutting the church down and going back to traveling. I was in that spot of hopelessness. And I heard the word of the Lord. He said, why don't you ask me for a miracle? You keep asking me for wisdom. Why don't you ask me for a miracle? I said, well, how about a miracle? <laughs> and within two months, Destiny Church that built this building out called us. And they said, listen, we've decided to merge with another church. Our building's going to be available. You met with us a year and a half ago and asked us if we'd be willing to sell to you. And we weren't in a position to do that. But we are now. We walked into this building. It was 10 times more than anything we had ever dreamed of. Better than any of the facilities we'd have looked at. We just, we just couldn't even afford it. It was just this miraculous situation of deal. And that, I'll never forget the first night we got the keys. Everybody was gone. And I came up here at like 1 o'clock in the morning. I sat on those steps right there. I began to weep. I didn't cry because, because it was so beautiful. I cried because I had been such a baby. See, children don't realize that bike standing in front of the tree on Christmas morning, they have no idea what that single mom has gone through to be able to put that bike there. They have no idea what that dollhouse, that that dad worked extra hours to be, able to, to be able to pay for that thing and put it together. And the effort by which it was brought forth, all they know is that their spoiled little self has a beautiful gift. And that's what I had been like. I didn't even realize what God had been doing and working. I lost hope because I literally thought God wasn't for me. But let me give you a passage of scripture out of Proverbs in chapter 13. 13 and verse 12, it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, 
but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. See, hope deferred, hope prolonged. If we're not careful, it makes our hearts sick. And some of you have been believing God for something. Some of you have been asking God to change something. Some of you quit on God years ago because you thought, well, if that's what it's going to be like and you're not going to give it to me when I want it and how I need it right now, and you just walked away and you lost hope. You lost hope. Friend, I'm here to tell you that hope is here. I'm here to tell you that in my immaturity, I did not realize that God was working on my behalf. That he works all things together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. That he's at work. And you and I just can't always see it. And when we get hope prolonged, it doesn't happen in the time we thought it should be. What happens is we lose hope. And I'm here today to remind you that the Christmas story is about you remembering and me remembering that he sent his hope into the world and that hope is working on your behalf and that you will have the thing that God said you will have and he'll do the thing he said he will do. If you will just put your hope back in him again, how many times do we walk away and say, nope, it didn't work the way I thought it should. Can you imagine, Mary? Think about this young lady. She grew up probably like a lot of young ladies in her era. Can't, couldn't wait to have her wedding. The man of her dreams. I bet, she, I bet she had little dolls that she played with. And I bet she had mock weddings and as, 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 as a little kid. I, I, I bet she dreamed about one day what her wedding would look like. I, I bet when she was a bridesmaid in her friend's wedding, she was plotting and planning. Oh, my dresses are going to be better than this. Oh, we're going to do this. I bet when she was at that front of daddy dancing and watching her friend dance with her dad for the, for the, for the, you know, the daughter-daddy dance in that moment, I bet she thought me and my dad are going to look better than that. We're going to dance to some different music. And see, I bet she's been picking it out and thinking about it. And then God comes to her and says, hey, you're going to be with child from me. She didn't get to have the wedding of her dreams. In fact, can you imagine the small community that she lived in 2,000 years ago, the gossip and the slander as she started showing? Can you imagine as the friends of Joseph go, I can tell you right now, that dude's a man of honor and he didn't mess with her. So I don't know what she did. Can you imagine the, the insecurity of going to Walmart and hearing them whisper and looking at you over at, over at the side, off the side of their, their cheek looking at you like that? Can you imagine what she went through? And then if that didn't beat all, it comes to a, a, a the government says you got to come and you got you to show up in Bethlehem. You got to come for a census. She's nine months pregnant and her and Joseph have to travel almost 80 miles for a census to give a head count of how many people live in the time and how to get them to pay more taxes. Can you imagine as she travels those 80 miles? Historically, they usually paint her on a donkey of some sort. Can you imagine being nine months pregnant, trying to go 80 miles on a donkey? More than likely, she walked half of it. She couldn't travel at the same pace as everyone else. She, I imagine she had to stop and sit for hours at a time and then get back on that donkey or walk it took them probably four days at nine months pregnant. Can you imagine the night that she finally rolls in, probably after midnight? She rolls in, her water has already broken. And the hotel that they had has already given up their space because, because they are so late in, in showing up. 
Can you imagine as Joseph goes from place to place and the frustration that this little gal was going through? I didn't get the wedding of my dreams. I didn't get the reception of my dreams. This guy right here is a little insecure about being with me. And yet supposedly I'm carrying the king of kings and the lord of lords and there's no reception. There's no bottled water. There's no limo to pick me up. There's no beautiful hospital place. There's no midwife that's been waiting on me hand and foot. In fact, they don't even have a place for me. And she ends up in the back storage room shed where they kept animals. And there she gives birth to the king of kings and the lord of lords. No, it didn't happen the way she dreamed it would happen. Her first child coming into the earth. It wasn't in her diary. And one day I will have a child in a manger. Amidst the cow poop and the, and the sheep and the goats that stink to high heaven. I bet that wasn't in her journal from back when she was 12 years old. In this moment, hope is brought forward through frustration. And I would like to point out to you that if you're in times of frustration and agitation... That's a good sign. That means hope is on its way. Because the route that hope takes is through frustration and difficulty. Because you have to understand, you and I have to grab a hold to this thing, that there is a cosmic conflict happening anytime God is trying to bring hope into the earth. Anytime God is trying to do something supernatural in a life, there's a cosmic conflict. All the devils in hell begin to try to stir and keep that from happening. In fact, look what the book of Revelation says about Jesus coming to the earth, about his birth, about Mary giving birth to him. In Revelation chapter 12, in verse 4 it says the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born if you'll keep reading it says but God everybody said but God but God intervened he protected Mary he protected Jesus he prepared a safe place the scripture says I want you to understand something that though you may have lost hope that though you may be frustrated because of the timing and the deferredness of the whole thing and the prolongedness of the prayers not being answered, I want you to understand that there is an enemy that's trying to keep it from happening, but God is working on your behalf. He works all things together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his hope, uh, to, according towards his purposes, and that should give you and me hope. It should give us hope. The book of Daniel, the man of God, Daniel, is in trouble, he needs a solution. And he begins to cry out to God and nothing happens. 21 days he commits himself to prayer and fasting. That's why starting January, fasting through January 26th, we as Church on the Hill, we're gonna pray and fast. As he was praying and fasting, at the end of 21 days, Michael the archangel showed up and this is what he said. He said, the moment that you asked, God sent the solution. The moment you set your heart and your mind to seek God's face, God sent me with the solution to your problem. But the demonic force, the prince of Persia, has been in conflict with Grab me, we, begin, we have been fighting for the last 21 days, me trying to bring God's solution to you as God so ordained it because you asked, and the demonic force is trying to keep it from happening. But because you were faithful to prayer and, 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 and supplication, because you fought it out, God was able to send more warriors to help me, and we broke through, and here's your solution. Friend, can I explain something to you? Hope deferred is probably because there's a force of evil battling against God's hope in your life. You and I must realize God's not against us. He's for us. We have to realize hope came 2,000 years ago in a package that was small but powerful. 
that Jesus came to earth so that you and I now can have a bridge back to the Father. We have hope. And so how silly for us, how silly for me when I begin to get frustrated and agitated because it's not happening in the time I thought it should. That's because there's a cosmic conflict and you and I must embrace the fact that God is for us and not against us. And though it may not be happening in the time that I want it to happen, that God is working for me, he is fighting for me and not against me. Are you with me? Say yes. yes. Come on, you can do better than that. Say yes. yes. Conflict and frustration is proof that hope is in route. He said, ooh, pastor, I must have a lot of hope coming because I am conflicted right now. That's exactly right. God is fighting for you. There's a very famous man in our generation today. Some have likened his musical ability to that of a Mozart, that he's brilliant. He's very famous. He's made millions and millions of dollars. He's very prestigious. He's well-known. But something started happening to him. I heard him testify about this. Some time ago, he began to lose his mind. He couldn't put his thoughts together. This side of his brain was working one way, and this side was fighting against it over here. And he found himself in a mental hospital for weeks. The paparazzis didn't know he was there. He married into a very famous family. He was the talk of the town. I mean, his music is talked about. He is a creative genius. Wealthy, 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 brilliant and popular, but he's losing his mind. And as he's in this psychiatric ward, not knowing who he is, the doctor's unable to help him or fix him at all. He testified that in that moment, all of a sudden, a vision and openness came to him. And he saw himself standing in the middle of a field with all of these people, and they were singing to the Lord their God. And as he began to connect with this vision in his mind, he began to sing the old Christian songs that he knew about when he was a kid, when he went to church. He began to sing them, these old hymns. And all of a sudden, he came back in his right mind. He called himself being awakened. You and I know this man is Kanye West. See, if God can bring hope into his darkness, my friend, will he not bring hope into our darkness? If God can set that man in his right mind, he had everything but yet nothing. He said, I was awakened in that moment. The first thing he did was hire a choir, went out in the middle of a field and started worshiping Jesus. As a smart fellow right there, I'll tell you that right now. Hope is here. But what happens sometimes to us is that we lose hope. Number one, because it's been deferred. It didn't happen in the time we thought it should. And you and I need to grow up just a little bit and recognize God's on our side. Number two, we got to recognize that there's a cosmic conflict happening. God's fighting for you but Satan's fighting against you. And that you and I need to join in the battle and the engagement. Give a little bit of strength to our side through prayer and fasting and crying out to the Lord and being faithful in that process. I want you to stand with me today for just a moment. And I want to read to you what the psalmist wrote in Psalms 42. As I do that, I want to ask that our SLT guys would pass out our communion elements. Because as spiritual family today, we're going to take communion together. We're going to close out 2020 with a fresh dedication of our lives and hearts to the Lord. We're going to go into, excuse me, 2019. We're going to go into 2020 with a freshness in our relationship with the Lord, with no guilt and no shame. 
If you'll take the elements and just hold them in your hand as we pass them to you. The psalmist wrote in Psalms 42, when you read this passage, it's a his frustration, his agitation, his hopelessness. It's amazing that God would put hopelessness in the Bible. And the reason why God does that is because he wants you and I to know that all have moments of difficulty, but that he's the Savior in the midst of every attack. The psalmist writes it like this in verse 9 of Psalms 42. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? God, I've been praying about this, and this kid's still acting this way. Why have you forgotten me? Lord, no matter how much I go to church, still I can't, this marriage is still so messed up. Why have you forgotten me? Continuing on, he says, why must I go about mourning and oppressed by the enemy? It's like, my life sucks every day. I'm depressed every day. Nothing works. Everywhere I go, I got enemies around me. At work, at church, everywhere I go. I'm surrounded, I'm I'm oppressed. I'm oppressed, the frustration setting in. Verse 10, my bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you being a Christian? Servant God hadn't done nothing for you. Why not live like the rest of us? Why live like that? What a waste of your life. As they as they mock me and make fun of me. That's what he says. And then something happens in verse 11. The writer of the psalm shifts as an awakening like Kanye had. He wakes up to his, to his foolishness. He wakes up to his hopelessness. And look what he writes. Why are you downcast, oh my soul? He starts speaking to his own mind, will, and emotions, your soul. He says, why are you downcast, oh my soul? Why are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? And then he makes this declaration. Put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. Friend, where else are you going to put your hope? In the doctors? They do their best, but you can't put your hope in them. And your physical ability? What happens when you're older and your physical ability is not there? Your mental capacity? You're going to put your hope in your own self? That's only going to destroy you. Put your hope in God. He said, I'm discouraged. I'm frustrated. Everybody's mocking me. I'm oppressed all around me. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put my hope in God. I'll put my hope in God. You know what Christmas is about? Hope has come. And you and I now putting our hope in God. This is your moment. This is your moment to look at those things that you've been hopeless in and say, you know what? It happened. It hadn't happened in the time I thought it would. I thought 20 years ago that it would have happened by now. I've been hopeless in this area. But I'm making a decision now to put my hope in God. I'm going to make a decision here now to put my hope in the only one. Emmanuel, God with us. See, you're not alone anymore. Humanity now has a savior. Humanity now has someone with us. And for those of us that have had lonely bouts in our life, this should give you hope that he's there all the time fighting on your behalf. I want you to do me a favor right where you stand. Keep the elements in your hand. I want you to close your eyes and bow your head. And I want you to identify where have you lost hope in God? Your marriage? 
your finances? Where have you lost hope? And here and now, right where you stand, I want you to decide to put your hope back in God. Right where you're at. Right where you're at. The engagement with the Lord right now probably needs to look a little bit like this. A prayer under your voice. Lord, I'm sorry for losing hope. Lord, I'm sorry for being frustrated. I'm sorry I gave up on you. I put my hope back in you. A prayer right there under your breath needs to sound something like that. A real engagement. Lord, I'm sorry. You are the hope of the world. You did send your precious son, Jesus, to be my Lord and Savior. The great gift. Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus. I thank you for the precious gift of life and hope that we have, that generations didn't have back in the day. Some 2,000 years ago, I can't imagine what the generations before that, how hopeless they lived life, not knowing, not having a way to you. Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth and giving your life for my behalf. I repent for my hopelessness. I repent for my agitation. I repent for allowing the frustration of prolongedness to get the best of me. And I ask you now to be my hope. I put my hope in you, Jesus. As the disciples said, where else shall we go? You alone have the words of life. We call it as so in Jesus' name. We're going to take communion together today. If you'll go ahead and make it ready in your hands. The Apostle Paul teaches in the book of Corinthians. He says that before a man or woman takes to the communion elements, we should first, we should first take a moment and evaluate ourselves. You know how it is in a relationship. I know for Jamie and I, sometimes there's those moments where we just we got so busy that we don't even, we're not even talking the same language. Or sometimes where something happened and we got in a little tiff and we hadn't even talked about it, there's still an elephant in the room, if you will. And that happens with Jesus and us all the time. Some of you have an elephant in the room. You've been frustrated. You've been agitated. Paul said we ought to examine ourselves and make those things right. We've gone back into some old sin, some old sin habits. Paul says we should, we should repent of that before we take of the elements. Because taking of the elements is is a connection in this relationship. It's the, it's, the, it's the reason why I wear a wedding ring, because I belong to her. She belongs to me. As we take the elements, it's a reestablishing, a, a deepening that my relationship with him is real, and I follow by way of taking communion in remembrance of what he's done for me. So I want you to bow your heads for another moment, and if there's sin in your life, I just want you to repent. Maybe the church you went to said that you had to get down on your knees or to repent, or that you had to light some candles or go confess. The Bible actually teaches us that if we ask, we shall receive. Repentance is when you and I look deep into our heart and say to God, I don't want this in my life. I repent, I don't want it. And we make decisions to turn from it. Father, I pray right now for each and every one of us here today, those watching on live stream, that Lord God, that you would hear the cry of our repentant heart. Oh, we don't wanna live in sin. We don't wanna have an, a, a blockade between us and you relationally. Lord God, whatever we've allowed to get between us. Lord God, we ask you to help remove it now. And we declare that you are our Lord and our Savior. Right there under your breath, I want you to commit afresh to God. Say, God, I love you and I'll serve you all my days. Right there where you're standing, the communion elements in your hand. Say, Lord, I repent of my sins. I want you in my life. 
I don't want anything to keep me from you. Would you just do that right where you're at? Just you and God. Just you and God. Father, thank you for hearing our cry of repentance. Thank you, oh God, for your goodness and your grace. We fall upon your grace and we thank you for your mercy. In Jesus' name. Let's commit to taking the elements together. Peel back the first little layer, revealing the little wafer. Take that in your hand. The Bible says it like this. On the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread. He broke it. He said, anytime you get together in remembrance of me, take this. He literally is referring back to the fact that he was going to be bruised for our iniquity. That his body was going to be broken to pay for our sin. So as we take this, let us remember the relationship that we have with him and what he did for us. Jesus, thank you for being wounded for me. Thank you for taking the cat of nine tails, the whip across your back where they shredded your back muscles all the way down your spine. Thank you for taking the cross up that hill, Golgotha. Thank you, Jesus. When they beat on you and cursed you and spit on you that you didn't turn away from it. Thank you for taking my sin, Adam and Cain's sin being covered by the precious blood that you shed the brokenness of your body for me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I give myself to you afresh. If you'll peel back the second layer, revealing the juice. Continuing on in the book of Corinthians, it says, the night that he was betrayed, he took the cup, the juice. He says, this represents my blood. I teach people this all the time. Prior to this moment, prior to a new covenant, there was an old covenant. And the people of God once a year had to go to a temple and little animals had to be murdered, killed, cut in two, their blood drained out. You say, man, that sounds so gothic. It was a representation. God wanted them to see that when they sinned, that it created pain and suffering. He wanted them to see that when they broke covenant with him, that it created pain and suffering. And so there needed to be a sacrifice for them to understand their waywardness and their brokenness. And Jesus, on this night, says, I'm shifting all that. We're not going to need little animals to be killed anymore. I'm going to be the lamb that's sacrificed. My blood will cover all the sins you will ever commit. I'll prepay for every human and every sin they'll ever commit. I'll pay it forward on this day, the night that he was crucified, the day that he died. The blood was shed. It gave us a way to the Father and our sins to be paid for in advance. So as we take the juice, let us remember of the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. Would you just pass those little pieces of plastic down to the end of the road? Our leaders will come by and pick them up. Can we just worship us singing this song together? The blood of Jesus. Come on, let's sing it together one more time. Oh, the blood. Oh, the blood. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for shedding your blood for me. Thank you for covering my sins. Every sin I ever committed. The sins of 2019 and way beyond. Jesus. It washes white as snow. 
with your hands free, would you just reach over and grab the hand of that person close to you? I'm going to ask you to do something that's going to be intimate here. If you're new to us, it may make you a little awkward moment for you. But you got to understand something. For us at Church on the Hill, we don't believe that production transforms lives. We don't believe that buildings transform lives. We believe that us being the family of God, submitted to the living God, is what transforms lives. And that we believe that we need each other. We need each other. We were created to be in relationship with each other. So here's what I'm going to ask from you. We've taken communion. We've articulated and identified that it was by His stripes that we're healed. In other words, God sent His Son to die on a cross, not just to save us of our sins, but also to heal us and to free us from our wounds, to free us from our anger and our perversion, our hatred, our lying, all those people. He came and died and resurrected so we could not, so we don't have to live, excuse me, in suffrage to sin. So here and now, here's what I want to ask you to do. I want to pray for everyone for healing. I want to pray for everyone for freedom and deliverance. As we've got our hands joined, I want us to be the family of God. And this is the little awkward piece that I want you to do for me. Just a second. I want you to lean over that person next to you. I know it may be like, do I go left? Do I go right? But lean over to the person next to you and just say, hey, I'm believing God to do a miracle in this area of my life. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's in your body. Because you've got sickness and you want to be healed. Hope is here. He is in us and wants to move through us and wants us to minister to one another. So if you just take a moment and just whisper to the person next to you, pray for me about this. And I'm believing that as they begin to pray for you, healing and supernatural movement is going to happen. So go ahead, turn to that person next to you and just whisper in their ear what you're believing God for. Father, we come before you as a family, as a body. And Lord, we've heard the whisper of the person standing next to us. And God, we ask you to heal. Lord, I, I rebuke every cancer cell in Jesus' name. I command them to shrivel up and die in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you, Lord. God, even sleep apnea right now, I curse it and command it to cease and be no more. Lord, I speak against the stress that has overwhelmed some folks in this room. They, they could hardly even get out of bed and come today. Lord God, I pray right now in Jesus' name for your healing power to wash over them. You didn't just spill your blood just so we can go to heaven one day. You spilled your blood so we could live a life that is free from sickness and disease and destruction. Lord, I pray for those marriages that have been so at each other's throat and they can't even figure out what it is and they're hopeless. God, I pray right now that miracles would start happening, that downloads, this is what we should do. Lord, that you would speak to the husband and, and, and show him this is what he needs to say. This is what he needs to change. You speak to the wife and show her this is what needs to adjust. Father, I thank you right now that you're for us and not against us. And we pray for one another like people who actually care. We actually want to be people who care for 
for one another, Lord God. We want to be the church. We don't want to be just people who go and listen to a sermon. We want to be the church. We want to be connected in to the body of believers. God, I thank you right now that, Lord God, you are setting us free from addictions, the shame that we carry because it just seems like we can't get over it. We can't stop it. Lord, I thank you right now for your freedom power in this service and that men and women will testify, Lord God, that something happened on the 22nd when they had hands joined and we were praying and something shifted and it was broken and things began to let go and the old scars from the past, Lord God, literally are being healed in this moment and bitternesses are being let loose and help, health and vitality is coming to our soul. And Lord, this is what we cry out for and this is what we declare and this is what we call it as so in the mighty name of Jesus. And all God's people agreed and shouted amen and amen.